Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Eden Grimaldi, who is the founder and owner of MediaCraft, a PR and branding company. Eden recounts her story of facing a health, personal, and financial crisis. She shares how this experience helped to crystallize life's priorities for her, and in that experience, teaching her to live differently. Please welcome Eden Grimaldi. So was there a moment or an event in your life that was incredibly challenging that might have reshaped the course of your life? Um, yes, I would say the first one that comes to mind, I'm sure I have both a professional and a, a personal one, but it was when I was diagnosed with cancer um, in my mid to late 40s. And um, I think for me, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of post-traumatic growth, but um, that's when something is so seismic and so large that occurs in your life that it it forces you to reevaluate everything, um, you know, your value system, everything that you, you know, all the constructs around your life, how you live it. Um, and that for me was an extremely pivotal time. And, you know, I think anyone that's faced with their mortality will go through that reevaluation. Um, and that definitely changed the course of my life. And was that the only event or were there other things? So I know for from sort of my work as a yoga therapist that a lot of people who undergo extreme stress sometimes end up getting sick. So had there been stressful events prior to your cancer diagnosis? Yeah, my um, at the time I was seeing, I was living in New York and my you know, the Frank Lippman was the, the functional doc, medicine doctor that I introduced you to. And mm-hmm. um, I was seeing him just, you know, there wasn't anything specifically wrong. I just wanted to make sure that I was in the hands of the functional doctor as well as my regular doctor. Um, but then when I developed cancer, he said, he goes, do you think it's a coincidence that the most stressful time in your life, the most stressful year in your life was the year that you got cancer? And I said, no, um, my parents were dying at the same time. They were terminally ill months apart and they died months apart. I was going through a hellacious divorce and it was 2008 when um, the economy decided it wanted to crash. So that was the perfect storm for me as a a relatively new business owner um, going through those three very stressful in and of itself trying times when they're going through them individually, but you put them all together, you know, look back and it's like, I don't know how people ask me, how did you survive that? I don't really know, but I did. Okay. And so as you were juggling um, parents dying, hellacious divorce, raising a small child, and and then facing the realities of the economic um, impact, right, on your own business. I always come back to this question. How did you put one foot forward? Was it something within yourself or it was the nurturing of your family life 
I found through therapy that I was an adultified child, which basically means you really don't have a childhood. You play the role of adult as a child. So I think that um, I've been conditioned to be a fighter and a survivor from a very early age because I had to function that way when I was a child. So I don't think that's a healthy way. I know that's not a healthy way to live. And I took many years of therapy for me to be able to, you know, redirect and bring people into my life that could nurture me and take care of me. But um, I think it was that conditioning as a child that you just, you take care of everything. That's what you do. You take care of everything for yourself and everybody else in your life and everybody around you, whether they're in your work or your personal life. And so that conditioning allowed me to just get up and have like a soldier mentality and just, just, you know, soldier through. Um, and it wasn't until a full year later, I was standing on the corner of uh, 10th and 17th street. And I just had a complete meltdown on the corner, like just out of the blue, going to lunch at Chelsea market one day, I just decided to break down on the corner. And I called my therapist. I was like, what is that about? And she said, you're finally processing your grief. So, you know, I held it together to answer your question, but it was, was myself and, you know, my internal mechanisms that, let me get through that. So how did that event and your, uh, as you said, the, I guess you call it post-traumatic growth, how has that reshaped how you, I guess, personally live your life, um, professionally deal with your business? I think for me, um, what it did, you know, I didn't start off as a very highly confident child. I was very introverted and shy. And so when you go through something like that, where it's quite formidable, and I would imagine it, it creates such a strength in you. And it creates this feeling of, if I've been through that, there's nothing that can take me down. And so anything that you're faced with after that, I think probably the death of a child is like the only thing I can think of. Um, that would probably, you know, cut you off at your knees. But in terms of, you know, having to pitch new business or firing somebody at the office, God forbid, you know, you just have to make decisions that are uncomfortable and difficult that you don't want to do, but you, that's just part of life. You have to do those things. You have to sit down with your, your spouse or your partner and have difficult conversations with your children, with friends. Like there's just things that life presents that are uncomfortable. Um, and I think that experience for me gave me such incredible fortitude and courage, um, to know that I can do anything. And so it made me super, super confident. I mean, I was confident already, but then it just, it was like supercharged that. So it minimizes things that don't, can't even hold a candle to that. So you prioritize very easily. Um, and those things come much more easily for you. Um, so those are some of the, the benefits of that. And also I think, um, treasuring those relationships in your life. You know, you always say that I treasure my friendships, but it's really when you're aware that you have an expiration date, whether it's because you're going through something that may snuff your life or just as you get older and you realize that you don't have that many years left, um, you start to make decisions and you start to direct your behavior in a different way that allows you um, to make time for those people in your life that really enhance your life and that you want to help. So I know as a yoga therapist that um, when I talk to clients about learning how to manage stress and learning how to regulate their own nervous systems, that that plays a huge part in them con uh, having a sense of control over their own health. So after having gone through such uh, 
a life-threatening moment. Have you found ways to learn to kind of navigate your own nervous system, regulate your nervous system, and to manage the stress in a different way? Exercise has always been um, the number one thing that I've done. And, you know, for me, it was Muay Thai. It was martial arts, Thai, Thai kickboxing. You know, I've done everything from tapping, um, obviously, in terms of diet, you know, anything, and, you know, all kinds of, you know, um, what are they called? Not superfoods, like ashwagandha and mm-hmm. um, all the, the stuff. Because I used to study for probably two or three years, Ayurveda. So I went back to a lot of those things. I didn't do yoga again, but I did a lot of yoga breathing, um, meditation. You know, now there's so many apps that you can utilize for breathing exercises and meditation. Um, and I did a lot of research and, and read books. Um, you know, and then I also decided to go see a psychiatrist. So it's a variety of things. And I think people just need to try a lot of different things and not be afraid to reach out for help. And um, and just test things because different things work for different people. So you never know what's going to work. And was there a moment in the the midst of all of the tsunami that you call um, when it was the perfect storm? Was there a moment ever where you really were down on your knees and didn't think that you could get through it? No. No, no, that came later. <laughs> that came later. I did have a moment like that, but um, but I always like to look at life situations as what can I learn from this, you know, turning a a negative into a positive. And for me, it's usually what can I learn? And, you know, going through the cancer taught me a lot of things. And, you know, later on when I was presented with some other things as well in life, that's when I, you know, talk about, was there a point that you felt like that was it? Um, But, you know, and, and I think that it's, it's important. I don't have a problem talking about it because I feel like there's still a huge stigma around mental health. Um, and people are still afraid to talk about it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, given my history, I am very candid about my own struggles with um, my mood disorders of depression and anxiety. So can we go back to, I don't know if you fully flushed out for me the answering the question of how has that moment and your resilience through such a challenge now shaped you as a, as a businesswoman? I know that it's given you confidence, but but has it given you that kind of fearlessness to take risks that you might not have taken in the past? Um, I do think that. I think that, you know, becoming an entrepreneur in and of itself is a huge risk. That's the very definition of it, right? You know, one assumes the risk, one who assumes the risk of business. So, um, you know, to jump off by yourself to do that, you know, without any insurmountable um, obstacles is, is, you know, courage enough. Can you tell the audience a little bit about MediaCraft? Because I think your company is so interesting. Sure. I mean, we've changed a lot, but when I, when I founded the agency, oh my God, what, Keen's 18. So it's, it's almost 20 years ago. Um, You know, my background was in, you know, at the time was called public relations, which has completely changed now. Um, And we, primarily worked, you know, I worked in luxury goods and fashion and a little bit in beauty, but when I jumped off to create media craft, it really was, you know, how can we do um, a job of bringing awareness and visibility to brands in the beauty luxury wellness space. And at the time, the driving force with that was for media relations. This was obviously before the advent of 
digital marketing, performance marketing, social media, influencer, all that. So in the early years, we existed primarily to broaden, you know, people, you know, individuals, um, brands, product companies, and services, all within the wellness and beauty category. So that was skincare, color cosmetics, fragrance, hair care, spa salon, those types of companies. And then, um, you know, we kind of specialized in very highly creative and niche brands. So like people didn't really know a lot of the brands unless you were well-traveled globally or you were really ensconced in the beauty industry. Um, and then, you know, with the, you know, social media and performance marketing, digital marketing coming about, we've, we've pivoted as a company. So we still do media relations, but we do a lot in the performance and, you know, digital space as well as influencer marketing and social media as well. Um, so it's basically brands and, you know, personalities, companies come to us. Um, you know, I do a lot of branding work myself, positioning work, writing, um, and then also growing the visibility across all those different categories. And so could you talk about perhaps, was there one um, client or product that kind of really solidified your business and you knew then that MediaCraft was going to be okay? Well, you know, right out of the gate, we were representing brands like Prada, Space MK, you know, like, you know, brands that people knew that were, um, I wouldn't call them legacy brands, but I mean, Prada certainly is, but um, I never really thought about the issue with me as being an entrepreneur. I never thought about an exit strategy. So, you know, I was newly married. I was a young mother and I really started the company so that I could have a flexible schedule. Like I couldn't imagine myself going into my boss's office and say, can I leave at three? Cause my son is a play. Like, I just didn't want to do that. It wasn't like I went out and wrote a business plan and got funding and they had this dream to build this, you know, amazing agency. I thought I'm talented. I know how to do things. I do things differently. I'm like, I should just try to do it and see if it works. So it wasn't like, you know, I had this, you know, huge desire to build an agency that kind of just happened serendipitously. But a number of forces affected that, you know, fact that I, um, I knew a lot of people in the industry and a lot of people referred business to me, the fact that we were doing things differently um, and clients were kind of, you know, jumping ship from the larger agencies. They were looking at smaller agencies because they wanted, you know, fresh thinking and, and creative strategies. And so, um, you know, it was timing for us too. So um, there wasn't one pivotal or, you know, moment that, really shaped or reshaped or helped define that, I would say. And where and where's the company today as far as from where you started? You mean in terms of physical location or in terms of what yeah, just size and yeah. Well, COVID has really kind of upended that as it has many businesses. You know, we had um an office in New York, a full floor on 38th Street, and then we had uh, the office out of the Refinery 29 offices here. And in Los Angeles, where I am, and I was going back and forth every month to New York, you know, based on client need, events, important meetings and things like that. So it was actually my partner, Jessica, who said, I don't know, I think it was last fall, you know, after months of paying, you know, a very sizable amount in after months of paying a very sizable amount in commercial leasing. And we, you know, the state and the city said, you can't. Um, you can't use your offices. She's like, we should just let it go because the commercial real estate in the city is going to, you know, 
tank and then you, we could probably get something better. So now we're now we're learning how to remotely work from home. So the whole agency is disbanded all over the country um, and people doing the same thing, whether it's our influencer person or media people, Jessica, my partner, it's like we're all just, you know, learning how to work from home. Um, but we're we're, you know, the same services. And, you know, in the beginning, I think it was really hard for everybody. Um, and I think, you know, we struggle with it in some aspects, but in terms of productivity, I mean, everybody's does all their work on the phone or on their computer. So it's only changing the location of where those two things are. Interesting. And so do you see, so I know that a lot of companies are trying to figure out what life after COVID will look like. Do you have any sense of what that will be like for MediaCraft? You know, I was talking, I was talking about that yesterday. It's, a, it's an ongoing conversation. And I don't know yet where we're going to net out. I think I was talking to my partner about it yesterday and I was reading an article, I think in Fast Company yesterday, that 77% of companies are now looking to work remotely. And that's like big companies like Facebook, Yahoo, like, um, and I was like, wow, that's, a, that's you know, almost 80%. Um, and, you know, I've been working from home a lot. I don't, I love to have a hybrid model because I think, it's isolating to work at home. So I think probably, and I don't know if that's going to be in the fall or in the winter of next year. I think people are just going to go ballistic in the summer by the time everybody's vaccinated and maybe out and about a little bit more. And then I think maybe the redefining of coming back to work will probably be implemented in the fall. And for us, I think it's probably going to be a hybrid of schedules. I think people enjoy having you know work from home, but they don't always want to work from home. You know, so it'll probably be like some kind of rotating cyclical work from home, work in the office, much more manageable and flexible. So if you could offer a little bit of advice to anyone who is facing any one of the things that you had faced in that one year, what would you, what would you say to them? And I think, and the other thing is really, don't be afraid to ask for help. I think for a lot of very strong women that, you know, are um, are very powerful in their careers, and they sometimes have a problem or challenge asking for help. And I've I've read about that a lot, and I've heard about that a lot from other friends of mine that have gone through it. It's difficult for, and I think it's a it's a woman thing too because we're so used to taking care of so many things to understand that it's okay when it's your turn that you need to ask for help and to lean on the support system that you have, and if you don't have it, you need to build one. I had to build one. So as part of that post-traumatic growth, were there things that you started to enjoy differently? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, yes, because I think before I went through that, you know, I've always been an avid traveler since I left my parents' house at 17. And to me, the thrill was always a new place, a new country, like a new culture, new food. Like there was always something that I was pressing to discover, like it'd be an adventurer in that regard. And after I went through that, I found the simplest pleasure taking the, the seven train out to Main Street and, and walking around flushing and going to like an underground food stall. Like before I would have to fly to Taipei or I would be, you know, offering in Hong Kong or somewhere in Thailand, you know, and then but I realized that I can create this like beautiful existence, but I don't have to always be pushing myself to 
I still love to explore, don't get me wrong, but the joy from those much simpler, much closer to home experiences were much more vivid. I like to call it living in Kodachrome. Um, oh, wow. Can you just, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's so interesting. Um, yeah, for me, it was, you know, when you, when you are aware of what I said before, in a, um, an expiration date and you're, you know what it's like, or you think, you know, what it's going to be like to not be there anymore. Like the scariest thing for me was not to be there for my son, Joaquin, who was 10 at the time. And, um, I was devastated by that. And when you finally realize that you're not at least at that moment going to go, you still don't know how long you have, right? You could have a year, especially when you're a cancer survivor, you don't know if it's going to come back and you don't know if you're going to live for, you know, another 30 years, another three years or three months. So you always have in the back of your mind, this time issue of time and how much time you have left. And it takes many years. And I don't know, I haven't talked to that many cancer survivors, but it's always there for a lot of people. I've been able to put it to the side. Um, but in the very beginning, so living your life in Kodachrome was really enjoying everything that was right there because you didn't know how much more was going to be behind that. And when you live through that fear um, and that process, it just, it makes the world just so much bigger and brighter and more joyful. So a lot of women listen to this show and some of them are going to be just awed by your story and your sense of optimism and and fearlessness is really one word I always think about with you. Is there anything else that you would share with someone who may not have the same amount of fearlessness and resolve and optimism that you have? Yeah, I would say, you know, because remember, I wasn't born that way. I had to work at it. And I think, you know, and I don't know what the age group is of anyone that might be listening, but I think I see it touch women later in life too, is we're always waiting for something. We're waiting to get that great job. We're waiting for us to meet the right person or or our relationship to get better, our kids to get easier, or whatever it is. There's this constant state of waiting for life that we've envisioned to arrive. And there's a you know, I was, as you know, I was an English literature major. And there's a quote that I always loved um, by Henry David Thoreau that mm-hmm. said, um, live the life, go in the direct, go confidently in the direction of your dreams, live the life you have imagined. You want to have a specific life and you're, you're maybe you're not confident or you're fearful about accomplishing certain things in your life. The thing that's going to make you be more confident is to become that person and the, for what worked for me. Mm -hmm. And was that enhanced or heightened after your year of hell? Well, yeah, because it's like, I already put all that time against it. And then, you know, I thought I was completely like, not to too bad, but you had this mentality that you're like, not badass in like a conceited way, but there's like, don't put anything in front of me. If you're, if it's, if, cause I'm going to get over that wall. It's just this confidence that you have. And if you can't get over the wall, you're going to find somebody to help you get over the wall. So it's not like I can do everything myself because I can't. I have an amazing team. I have an amazing network of friends and support system now. But it's like when you're a leader and you need to only you know get yourself there, but then you have other people behind you that are looking towards you. You got to find a way. Your, your resourcefulness becomes unending. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. So we're getting to the end of our interview. 
So if there is a song that could describe your life, what would that song be? Oh my God. I know this one always, the, the, the last question throws everybody. Don't ask me to name the artist because I can't remember. But the first one I think of, it's like, is The Fighter. Oh. I know all the lyrics. It's the analogy of, you know, what you, what you have to go through through life. Um, and the, when you think about a fighter, boxer, Muay Thai, whoever, whatever kind of sport it is, it's, there's so many analogies that take you through life. Like for you, for yoga teacher, it's like on the mat. In, in boxing, it's in the ring or in the cage, you know, for martial arts. Um, and you need the same types of discipline, determination, fortitude, all of that. Um, and that song talks about all of that. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, woulda. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix Tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.